And we're going to come over to Alan's workbench. Alan, how's your project going? It's it's doing really great. This is a uh, creme brulee with a, a maple glaze and just put uh, some pecans in there for flavor and the, the nuttiness to kind of bring out the... Uh, fantastic, yep. fantastic, fantastic. And it, how are you doing the pecan? Roasted. Oh, perfect, perfect. Baker, as you have 15 minutes left. God, I got, I got to get right into it now. I'm so, I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah, so I just want to ask, how, how, how do you think you're doing this competition? I just, I'm really lucky to be here. I started mm. baking three hours ago, <laughs> and to be in week five is just flooring. Exactly. So if you make it through this, you'll make it to the quarterfinal. Yes, and, and that would be a dream. But honestly, just getting this far is, is so special. So do you have any tips, anything you want to share with the public at home? Uh, yeah, just go for your dreams. Really try. And uh, if you're new to something, that doesn't mean you can't be broadcasted live across the world doing it. Excellent. Thank you. We're going to move on and we're just going to watch uh, a little bit more for the next 15 minutes. But we're also are just going to stand right in front of Alan's workbench and watch him rather intently. Oh, Fuck. Oh, what, what, what was it? What is it? Oh, fuck, I've forgotten the flower. You've forgotten the flower for your tart? Oh, I forgot the flower. I don't, I don't know how that happened. I, I... Is there anything we can do to help, or...? Oh, no, I fully botched it. <laughs> <laughs> I can make a new batch. I need, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Are you able to, like, uh, commercial break or distract the judges? I, I think we can think of something, yeah, for sure. Well, because I don't know if you know this, but we pick the winners before the season starts. <laughs> and you're, like, contractually <laughs> obligated to win. So what we're going to do is we're just going to ad-lib for, like, 45 minutes um, in front of... Paul and Prue and see what we can cobble together. Thank you. I mean, honestly, when when you came and replaced Noel, I was like fully on board, like against all the haters and you really proved me right here. I thank, really appreciate thank you, it. I, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, but <laughs> All right. So I, I guess we're just going to ad lib for like 45 minutes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I got to get back to Spike. Yeah. Uh, he, he, hey, Paul. Hey, Prue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the great Six Degrees of Celebration podcast. Baking show. <laughs> England edition. I'm Alan. <laughs> I'm Matt. And it's a beautiful day here outside the tent. <laughs> we just got caught up. On the new season? Yeah, on the new season. <laughs> who, okay, so who are, you, who are you pulling for? I cried when What's-Her-Name went home. Um... <laughs> <laughs> When uh, that, that uh, her, uh, the mother, the the woman who was just like sassy and big and fun. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, spoilers for uh, yeah, Take off. <laughs> yeah. Let's not because it's in it right now. Like I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there there was one person who reminded me of somebody from work, and she she was kind of like a mother figure. Right. And that was the only episode that I've actively like legs up to my chest cringed oh. like for the last like twenty minutes. It was like you probably know the one. It was just like everything was going wrong, and you just. Yeah. It was terrible to watch. So the person I'm pulling for is still in the running. Oh, good. They probably will not win, <laughs> but I will pull for them nonetheless. It'll be a close race. We'll see what happens. <laughs> 
I don't want to talk too much about it because no. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Yeah, no, please, please go watch Bake Off. How are you doing? How's your week going? I'm doing okay. Um, I had no hot water today, so it was always a bit interesting. What? Yeah. So cold shower, but cold shower, cold coffee. No, I, I had. I, could, I, I, I could, know I could, you could just heat up the cup. <laughs> the water. I, I, I didn't know Ow. that you knew. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good, I think. Yes. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's all the changes that are happening or like seasonal stuff going on. But like, I think maybe an hour before this recording, I was just like head in my hands, like by the sink. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I I just want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I get it. This is fun. So this will this will get me going in the right way. We used to host these really big Halloween parties. Yeah. We, we haven't, sadly, for like the last year. We basically would host these huge parties. Yeah. We would say, all right, we're not going to ask people to come to our Christmas parties or our whatever other things. Everyone sets aside Halloween for us and we're going to do it huge. And whenever we would do it, my contribution would always be that I would craft an escape room. <laughs> I use the word craft in a very bougie attempt to highlight the fact that you can't just make an escape room. Right. At the basic level, an escape room is just a series of puzzles. One leads to another, to another, and then you end up with the final one. You complete it and you, you're out. You win. Right. Like the whole essence of an escape room, you need to have a story. Why should the participants care about finishing the puzzles? Why are they trying to escape? What are they trying to escape from? And and how does completing the puzzles enable them to do that? Right. <laughs> in writing this and like getting all excited about it, I didn't get to do it in escape room this year or last year because COVID, like that was the biggest loss of 2021 <laughs> and 2020 was, was my escape room and nothing else. Exactly. So in writing this, I got all excited about, oh man, what if I did this kind of story? So let's say you are trapped in a warped reality and the escape room begins 30 to 45 minutes into the party, you hear a dark voice from somewhere say, Yes, you should all be nicely adjusted now. Do you remember the door when you first entered? Or perhaps the concept of a door is already lost to you. Regardless, allow me to welcome you to my domain. A twisted reality of distortion where all may never be as it was or is. You may feel yourself unknowing already, the threads of your mind unraveling, until you don't know what a mind is, or who it belongs to. As you lose yourself, I will consume all you are. Do try to entertain me more than the poor unfortunate Dr. Reynolds there. (laughs) And I love doing this where like, we would invite new people to the party and like I would play the record thing with all the different voice effects on it and everything. And the people who knew would be like, oh, hell yeah, here we go. And then like other people would be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you play that. And then in the corner of the party, there's been a skeleton the whole time with like a doctor's coat on. And you go into the doctor's coat. And you're like, oh, there's. Yeah. And it has a letter inside and talks about like how he was like about to figure out kind of how to get out of here and he was putting the parts together but like the letter itself is scrambled and doesn't make full sense because the effect of like the domain was inhibiting his mind right it was like making him like misunderstand 
didn't write the wrong word. And so that leads you to all the different puzzles and all the different puzzles are that same kind of theme where it's like ciphers or mismatching, like things are just warped and, and wrong. Right. And so like the whole theme of the escape room fits in with the puzzles, fits in with your escape. And then like at the end, you're out and it's awesome. I, I only remember you doing one. Which was the devil one. I did. I did two. My first one was very amateur. But my second one is probably the one you remember. Says a person who like, I designed this escape room. It's just like, oh. <laughs> you know who else says like stuff like that is amateur? Who? Serial killers. It's just like <laughs> my first what? one. Was, my first one was really amateur. My second one got good. Like my second one. I've really fallen into a groove. Now. Like, right, like, like I really found my work. <laughs> Oh boy, they're never going to know. Also, the concept of the fact that your puzzles get to implement your environment is super fun because it gets yeah. people in the party moving and, and touching things and, and breaks the ice in, in a very physical way. Right. And you get like the extroverts that are like, oh, let's solve this. And the introverts who like don't engage socially, but they're like, oh, cool. Puzzles. Yeah, I can do puzzles. Like this is something for me to focus on. Ugh, I just love it. It, it. It's not something I would think of to do at a party. Just because I'm not a puzzle person, but I can definitely see that being fun. That's that was the whole thing. I wanted to do it in a way that allowed you know the people who are just there to party, you can party, and then right. people who like need something to be working on or, or some kind of task to be there as well. Like there you go. And also like a lot of your circle are game people. Like a lot of your friends and family are like game. Like so, <laughs> so that that makes total sense. It's a weird dynamic what you just described because there is never a gathering of my side of the family where we don't break out a board game or something to do while we're socializing. And when I go to Jenny's side of the family, it's very like socializing is the thing you're doing. So for me, I'm like, why don't we break something? Out? <laughs> like I need that, that separation. My, my family never did board game. We did like Candyland. It's a board game. <laughs> yeah, I just never did board games growing up. It takes a skill set because we could bring like a new board game to a family gathering and it would probably take us all 15 to 20 minutes to like be like, oh, OK, I got this. Yeah. But if you were to like open one for you and be like, all right, let's jump into it. You'd be like, I I have no idea what's happening. There, right. I have, I have no prior thing to use this against. So I have a friend's giving on Saturday. The Saturday we're recording oh, awesome. this. It'll be fun. Uh, but my first like Friendsgiving in like two years, because unprecedented times. The world is of death. <laughs> I <laughs> trying to figure out like another word to replace vampire. I couldn't think the of a two syllable word. The world is a vampire. You could say that. Okay, fair. <laughs> Billy Corgan's cool. And with that, you get the whole, what are you bringing? Like, are you bringing booze? Are you bringing other drinks? Are you bringing food? Like, what are you... Right. What are you contributing? Because that's why I think I like Friendsgiving more than Thanksgiving. For my family, Thanksgiving was never a huge thing. My dad or my family did everything and people just showed up. Yeah. Uh, versus this, where it's like everyone's bringing something. So it feels more communal in that way. So everyone brings a little bit. And then when everyone contributes, everyone benefits. So what are you contributing? So this is my thing, which is I get to undertake an elaborate baking project. Oh, okay. So I did this when we lived together, and I'm gonna do it again, which was I did pies from scratch. It is one of those projects for me that I'm like, I can focus and like 
dive into. Yeah, you said pies plural. Are you making multiple pies? I'm making two. Okay. Which, so technically multiple. Technically <laughs> multiple. Uh, well, because the, the pie dough recipe I am using makes two crusts. Wait, so you're making the dough from scratch? Yeah. Like the, the filling okay. from scratch. Oh. To, to a certain extent, like I am not doing the pumpkin from scratch. I have a can of pumpkin. Oh, okay. So you're doing a, one of them's a pumpkin pie? Yes. According to Claire Saffitt's dessert person, <laughs> she has a caramelized honey pumpkin pie. Oh. So we're going to do that. And the other one is one I've done every time I've made pie, and it's always done really, really well, which is a salted maple. Oh, that sounds really good. So it's like a pumpkin pie, but instead of pumpkin, you add a cup of maple syrup. I just have to say it so I can get it out of my head so I can start engaging you in an yeah. actual conversation. But my brain has just been screaming in some kind of like, I don't want to use the word autism, but like an autistic mm -hmm. frenzy. My brain's just been like, I don't want to be a pie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just like, stop. I'm trying to listen. <laughs> but it's just like, hey, you have to say it. You have to say, say it. it. Say <laughs> it. Every time you say pie, it's like, but I don't want to be a pie. Because that movie's a classic. But yeah, it's just one of those like big baking things that I'm like, I do enjoy it. Well, because like a brownie is easy. Cookies are easy for the most part. There's like this line. I know I don't know where it is, but it goes from like, okay, this this is a pretty common thing people do to like, mm -hmm. we're, we're doing it. Where is that line? It might be that if you can make something with a box mix, then that's like, okay. Yeah. But as soon as it's like, oh, this required you doing more than just a box mix. Right. I think it's somewhere in the cake realm because cake you can do in a box, but cake can also be like, I'm going to do it from scratch. And cake, it feels like one of those things where it requires a certain level of finesse and a certain level of knowledge to do everything. Yeah, because even the mix, like that's just going to get you the cake cake part. If you're bringing you a cake, have to you, yeah, you, you have to like frost it and do all that stuff, which mm -hmm. is like a second step. Right. <laughs> as soon as there's a second step. And, and <laughs> the secondary location. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because I was talking to one of the head chef at work because she had made, I think, two cakes for a, a baby shower we had hosted at the restaurant. And I said, wow, Rachel, these look fantastic. And she goes, oh, thank God, I hate this. And I was like, like, what? Like, <laughs> like decorating cakes is the worst thing I've ever done. Like, oh yeah, it's like, I imagine. It's, 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 oh my god, I'm like, they look doing great. It's like, thank you. I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast. Did I tell you the story of when I made Jenny a cake? No. Hey, hon. I don't remember if it was for our anniversary or not. But do you remember what the event was that I made a cake for you? I think it was our anniversary last year. Okay, so our anniversary last year, I was like, Jenny's always the baker. I'm going to bake the cake, do a really special thing for it. And yeah. I was like, I'm going to bake a hedgehog cake because <laughs> she, she loves hedgehogs. She was gone for like the whole day and I just like got all the ingredients. It was something like 12 eggs or something crazy. I made this whole big thing and like messed up a lot. <laughs> like I ended up getting like chocolate batter stuff everywhere. Like somehow in the burners on the stove and like against right. the wall yeah it was it was if you're thinking like oh it's probably an exaggeration like no it was <laughs> it was like everywhere it took me about an hour to clean up everything and i tasted the cake a little bit beforehand i was like i don't know if this tastes right like i don't know what i'm doing wrong like it wasn't working but i did it i made it i put it in the fridge yeah and so when she she got home, I was like, I made you a cake. And she's like, that's awesome. I was like, it's not 
good though like it's, <laughs> i'm pretty sure i messed it up like it's yeah. not gonna be good the frosting doesn't taste right yeah she, i remember you being like it's it's gonna be fine do you remember what you said to me before i ate it no after you ate it like after you showed me the recipe no like you had some and then you told me something i don't know if you remember uh, no i don't yeah i held it in my brain um <laughs> You said that might actually be the worst cake I've ever tasted. <laughs> but wait, we have to clarify something. You showed me the recipe you followed after, and whoever wrote it either didn't taste what they made or like was really dumb because it was literally like 12 eggs, mascarpone, cocoa powder, and there was no sugar in it. Oh. <laughs> and it was like so dense because it was like all eggs and butter. Did it have flour? I don't think it did. No, I don't no, think it so. Was, I was like, this was not your fault. <laughs> Where did you find the recipe? I just online. Oh. I just looked up hedgehog cakes and there's not a lot of options. No. <laughs> so I remember I made you a cake for your birthday when I lived in Worcester and it was awful. What? No, it wasn't. It was delicious. Well, okay. So I say that because I spent an entire day uh, covered in fondant. Yeah, it was it was a cake with I don't even know a mountain of fondant around it. Basically. Yes, because we decided to do an Attack on Titan cake because that was like the one anime I knew, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I tried to do like a Titan, a colossal Titan, it, yeah, right. It was just like a dome, and it was like this red fondant with like white <laughs> bone, and it looked awful. <laughs> it was just like it was just like baby's first painting, like. <laughs> I remember I like ate a piece of the fondant. Fondant does not taste good. No, so I like peeled it off and then just yeah. ate the cake. The cake was good. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, we threw the whole hedgehog in the trash. Like, it was just like... it was. We were not going to eat it. It was uh, just... It was disgusting. I, I just can't get over the fact that somebody put that recipe online. Like, I can't get over it. It's just like eggs, butter... Mascarpone. <laughs> That's how you Done. make a cake. Unsweetened cocoa powder and nothing to oh, no. <laughs> I kept adding more cocoa powder because I was like, why doesn't it taste good? What is happening? And so it's just getting more and more bitter. <laughs> yeah. It's just getting more and more bitter. Oh, it was God. disgusting. Uh, but anyways, I hope your pies come out better than my cake. Thank you. I'm using Claire's book, so we'll see how we'll see how she does. Oh, which one are you making? The caramelized honey pumpkin pie. <gasps> I want to try that. Good luck. I think for the most part, I'm almost making caramel. I haven't actually read through that one, so I'm not sure. Well, I think one of the things is like, take a pan, take a honey, and like melt the honey, then add cream to it. Oh. That's that's making caramel, yeah. Right, so I'm like, oh God, like, oh God, like, well, cause <laughs> I'm scared, cause caramel's hard. I watched Caramel Week. Yeah. <laughs> and just I'm like, ah, ah, like. <laughs> they all hated it. <laughs> Why is it burning? If I learned anything from that episode, it's that you have to take it off before it gets to the right color because it will keep cooking. Mm -hmm. Yes, the carryover cooking is essential. And if you've ever tried to make it, you know that it's literally half a millisecond in which it's fine and then it's not fine ever again. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, sweetie. You're welcome. Thank you for reminding me of that. It's really funny and I hadn't thought about it in a while. <laughs> yeah, well, remember the time you fell down the stairs? <laughs> Stop. Bye now. <laughs> I, I'm so happy I mentioned that in your actual best man speech. Oh, yeah. That was a great moment when like all of her family got to see me die laughing about how she fell down the stairs. Because it was also that, but also the fact that like I didn't want to just roast you. Yeah. 
I didn't want to just make fun of you the entire time. I wanted to like <laughs> highlight the journey as an angel, but also that like she fell down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget her fatal flaw. <laughs> right. <it's> stairs. <laughs> Jenny can't walk upstairs. <laughs> she was going down them, which should be easier. Gravity's helping. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of helping. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's so perfect. Like, gravity's helping Jenny. Just like how everyone in the world <laughs> helps each other sometimes. I don't have an intro to this. Uh, it, what do you find more difficult? Accomplishing a cumbersham? A cumbersham. A cumbersham. Marston Cumberbatch. Uh, <laughs> what do you find more difficult? Accomplishing. Fuck. What is happening? Am I stroking out? <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you find more difficult accomplishing a cumbersome task or asking for help with it asking for help with it why part of me is like you should be able to do this like you can figure this out you should have some resources available but at the same time it's like I'm not a hundred percent sure. And so like, I'm like, uh, like. I haven't exactly figured it out myself. I wonder if it has to do with how much we value others people's time over like our own. Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of it also comes back to like, I don't want to hinder them with my stuff. Yeah, right? Cause you're like, oh, you know, my stuff's my stuff and I should be helping other people with their stuff. Right. I'll be I'll be making a negative net outcome if I ask for help with mine. Yeah, exactly. I find small favors like asking someone to read over something or like just give their opinion are really easy. But you're right. Like when you have to make like a full on request for someone to do actual work for your sake, it is really difficult. Yes. I wonder if part of it has to do with how society kind of paints the workplace, you know? My mind operates very logically, so I kind of picture it like I have a certain gauge of like friendship or, or I guess camaraderie with everybody I meet. And the more I ask for help, like the lower that gauge gets. And like, I don't want to I don't want to risk like asking for help because then like we might stop being friends. Right, right, right. This also just maybe the way we overthink of just like. Oh, I've already asked them for help too many times. I, I, I've i reached the quota. I've reached the like my help budget with them, which is weird. It is weird. If you're having a hard time, you should be able to ask for help. Yeah. And if you see someone struggling, I don't know about you. Like if I see someone struggling, like I want to help. Yeah. But I think we also just like build it up in our head to be a bigger thing. I think a great way to counteract the fear of asking for help is making sure that you adequately thank the person once they've helped you. And making sure that they know that it's appreciated. Right. I'm always willing to help, but I think it does kind of sting a little bit when like someone assumes I'm going to help or it feels like they don't acknowledge it. Like you said, they don't show the appreciation for it. You right. Know? Exactly. Which is the tough part. Yeah. Because you feel taken advantage of. Yeah, and that's like kind of like the currency exchange. It's like, yeah, I'll help you, but don't forget to pay your appreciation tax. And it doesn't need to be like, I owe you or like, let me get you something. Right. It's just like a actual sincere thank you or just an actual sincere appreciation. I have a feeling that in the future, I'm going to have to ask for a lot of help. And I'm worried. I'm worried about how that will affect my everyday. You know, like I don't. I don't like asking for a lot of help because I like knowing that I'm on good terms with everybody because right. I've never like 
tested you know the waters with a new friend if you like introduce conflict yeah it's always it's it's tough so like actually this is a good example sunday i had a very long day sunday i worked brunch at a very busy shift and then right after that my roommate and i went to an event at a brewery i was like okay i'm just have a low-key night i talked to some friends hung out we stayed until like eight it's like a like four to eight like all Mm -hmm. right I'm done. I'm going to bed. And one of my friends who's in Boston for a wedding texted me and said, hi, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm literally in bed. And he says, do you want to grab a drink? Like, I would like an excuse to leave the wedding because I'm tired. And I was like, I appreciate it, but I really can't. I'm literally in bed, like passing out, like falling asleep right now. And I just, boom, passed out. And I woke up. To a text saying, please, question mark. Oh, God. And I was like, hi, I'm really sorry. I fell asleep. Like, I hate to be that person. I just I just couldn't. I owe you. I'll make it up. And then he texted me, oh, no, don't worry about it. I was just, I was being a lot because I was very overwhelmed with a lot of different stuff. But like, you're good. And I'm like, okay. But it was that first time we've had that like kind of. Yeah, like, let me ask something of you. Right. Like, let me inconvenience you. Not even, like, inconvenience, because I'd, I'd asked him to, like, do stuff before. And he was like, yeah, sure. But it was this, like, the first time, it was like, can you do this? And I said, no, I can't. That's an interesting part, right? Yeah. Like, when someone asks you for help and you have to say no because you're, you know, any number of reasons, whether you're protecting your own well-being yeah. or, like, like you, like, you just, I just can't. Yeah. The phrase I've always heard is you can't pour from an empty cup. Damn, but you can try. Like, <laughs> Yeah. This thing is just like, maybe if I just pour harder, like, yeah, maybe if I just keep uh. going, it'll work. Excuse me. That would, that, I don't know if you heard. <laughs> it's just my pens. It's my, my, my pills. Oh, <laughs> well, I pour from an empty pill bottle. Uh, yeah. I'll pop a couple of these. I can make it through the week. Yeah, you you can't pour from an empty cup. Another one which is very similar is uh, in order to help others, you have to first help yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It is a really hard thing to accomplish. Yes. And also know that like what you're doing is adequate. Because you are a human. As long as there's air in your lungs, like you can always be doing more. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have an obligation or you're failing if you're not doing that more. Like you, you have to sleep, you have to eat yeah. and you have to give yourself a moment to take care of yourself. Yeah. And just because that time could be spent getting that last report done or sending a few more emails, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you are doing something that's less valuable in that time. Yes. There's a lot of minefields when it comes to asking for help, being asked for help. But I guess the big thing is as long as you, have a very honest communication and you respect where both people are, even when you say no or you get said no to, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. This is helpful. Thank you. Of course. (laughs) I think part of having that conversation about when you need help is also being able to bounce ideas off people. One of my favorite ideas I have when when they come to me (laughs) is tattoo ideas. Ooh, okay. And so I've had a few recently. Yeah. That make me really excited. And I'm like, love it. Great. It was just like one in my in my head just like came to me. I'm like, that. 
that is happening. Um, and I told Jenny about it and she's like, oh, you upgraded. <laughs> I like my, my wrist tattoo. My wrist tattoo is meaningful. Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah. So my wrist tattoo is the words, you must obey me with a little semicolon. They're lyrics taken from a torn pilot song called Holding On To You. Basically, it's me telling my brain that I'm in control. Like I control my thoughts. And the semicolon being kind of the popular uh, mental health tattoo. I like this tattoo. However, with years of experience and years of time, I kind of want to redo it. You want to redo, wait, like get it covered up? Yeah. So whatever you're doing is going to have to like be bigger. Bigger. And I think I know what it is. What is it? On your arm, you have a forest. Yes. A very nice, serene forest. Thank you. Uh, and there's like birds and there's like a, I think a father and son holding like hanging out. It's just no, but that would be very me. It's just a, a guy standing in a forest uh, and like he's reaching up his hand and birds are kind of like flowing from him and up the rest of my arm. OK, so I'm going to get the exact opposite. <laughs> he's growing into the dirt. I'm going to get an antithesis. Okay. Uh, and we can hold our arms up against each other. Well, I'm going to get it from my wrist going up my forearm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get a forest fire. Oh, that's a really good idea. With someone watching it, because I mentioned her last week, Mitski has a song called A Burning Hill that is very, very sad and intense. We won't play it now because that's not important. <laughs> She has a lyric that has just has described my mental health journey better than anything I could ever think of in my life. What's the lyric? I'm on the edge of my seat. She, she goes, I am a forest fire and I am the forest and I am the fire and I am the witness watching it. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you explained the forest fire to me. Yeah. And like before you mentioned the watching person, I was like, oh, cool. Forest fires are disaster and they, they bring a lot of bad stuff, but they're also natural and normal. And sometimes forests actually need to burn to re-nourish the land and grow stronger. Right. So I think for me, the lyric it is really representative of I am being destroyed. I am what is destroying myself. Yeah. And I am watching it happen. Like I am, I am literally judge, jury, and executioner at any given moment. Right. Like it is like, it's all part of the cycle. Granted, yes, it, it is a very, very bleak thing. It is not a like hopeful, like wings on an eight, like kind of thing. Right. But it's true to me. I think part of it is being honest with where this whole part of my life has taken me. And like I said, being brutally honest with like just what that journey has been, which is destructive and really challenging at times. And so I think what this is, is kind of making, taking that part and making it really something beautiful. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I mean, if it moves you, that's the most important part. I had the idea and I'm just like that, that like, <laughs> I need this. That's so awesome. I, I, when we start talking about the serious stuff, especially when it's serious stuff that I have no reference for. Right. I just want to keep asking you questions and like. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Do you have any feelings that maybe the tattoo will set a subconscious precedent that you will always be in this kind of cycle? Um, I, I think that's kind of the, the nature of mental health is that it's never 
truly cured. It is managed. Um, and it's always kind of a constant thing. So I think to your like, so like for the example you said, like forest fires are natural in a way that they like are necessary for cleansing and like kind of clearing out areas. Mm-hmm. In a certain way, it kind of is because they can be accidental, like caused by hikers or gender reveals or like <laughs> whatever. At the same time, they do just happen, and is just the way some people are. And that isn't to say that, like, if you are suffering with anything, that's like, that's just who you are, suffer, but like, manage it. So it is just kind of a constant state of like trying to like keep the plate spinning. Is there any kind of like hopeful connotation for you when you imagine having this, this, this idea that you're like, okay, in this moment, I am the forest being lit on fire. But at some point, I'm going to be back to being the watcher and it's going to be okay. Thank you for asking, doctor. Um, I think for me, the connotation is just that like, you are what is being destroyed and you are what is destroying it, but you do have a part in it as the witness. Like you can do something. Oh, okay. Okay. So the witness watching it is like yourself Mm -hmm. and you like kind of every day you can make a choice or try to make a choice of dealing with it if you have the resources to deal with it. And sometimes you just have to watch it go. It evolves. That's really interesting. When you originally said witness, my brain went to like bystander, somebody who's, whose job is purely to watch and not do anything. But what you're feeling is like, as the witness, there are days I'm going to try to fight the fire right. and there are days I'm going to have to let it go. Right. But just remembering that I can separate myself from like what is happening with my body and my mind and present my own influence in there. Right. Because I think, I think like bystander imparts this active role bystander does you know sometimes well okay. I will actually well witness and bystander are kind of synonymous okay that's fair but i think witness has this like you are a part of it if you're investigating a murder you don't bring in the bystander who is like right. on the street you bring in the witness the person who was in it and and saw it so the witness imparts this like active role i dig it i think it's cool thank you are you gonna do color do you think i think we'd have to do color hmm really vibrant like red orange have the witness be probably in black let me know the next time you go and i either want to get the line from randy Feltface, which is uh fear cannot exist like i've been thinking about getting one and not telling anybody about it and putting it somewhere that's not normally visible yeah and it just says like this body's gonna die someday you know yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just something that's just like a general reminder like not everything is super big deal because this is all gonna end eventually i used to have this idea that all tattoos had to be super meaningful and like had to have this level of stuff. And some people just like, no. Like one of my friends got his first tattoo and I'm like, oh, what'd you get? Like, what does it mean? It's like, uh, I got on my leg and I like the way it looks. There you go. <laughs> Marie Kondo that, would be like, it sparks joy, go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at the same time, like when we lived in Nashua, the, my barber had like sleeves and, but he had like the Americana style, which wasn't just like, one contiguous thing and like i had like a free spot somewhere like on his arm and i asked him like what are you gonna do and he goes i think we're gonna get either a panini (laughs) or mario and a skateboard (laughs) 
man it, uh, uh, they're so similar <laughs> <laughs> I was just like why but like why it's like well my nickname was panini in high school and i like mario and i like skateboarding what a it's weird like, <laughs> all right that that is it that is all i want I remember back when we used to go to Scorpion Tattoo, they had a wall of like walk-in tattoos where you could come in, pay $50 and walk out with like any of the tattoos. Right, but like the rule of thumb is you kind of like don't do those. But they would tell us that like in that community, kids who were 18, 19 would just like, hey, you know, this weekend, do you want to go get tattoos? Yeah, because you're just young and dumb. Young and dumb in in New Hampshire, yeah. Not how that saying usually goes, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Young, dumb, and living free. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You can be young and dumb anywhere. Let's be yeah. honest. You can be old and dumb in anywhere. Um, yeah. What a world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy for you, man. I, Thank let you. me know when you're going to get it, and I'll, I'll go with you. That'll be fun. <laughs> Thanks. Introduce this degree in a creative way. Check. Make a joke about moms, students, and serial killers all loving these. Check. Overplay the gimmick. Check. Um, I love checklists. <laughs> I get it. No, I get it though. <laughs> At the beginning, you mentioned serial killers, and I was like, <gasps> like I have an in, but I was like, ah, nah, nah. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of. Oh, there's a doggy! Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest on the podcast. His name is Jake the Dog. Did you get any of that? I probably got some of the licking. That's the sound of Jake the Dog <laughs> licking his chops. Very cute, cute. What is he, like a Maltese? <laughs> He's a Shih Tzu. <laughs> what is he, some kind of dog? Um, God, that's so distracting. <laughs> I love him so much. He's he so just, fuzzy. He just needed attention because he was like, hi, you close the door and I can't leave. Oh. Ever since working at summer camp, right? Checklists, whether digitally or physically, have become embedded in my personality. And I know you can attest like at summer camp, like you always had a pen and a pad of paper with you. Yes. It just made sense to utilize it with checklists. Like when someone needs you to do something, you make a little box and you write what you need to do. And when you're done, you put that satisfying like like right through it. Yes. Oh, if I didn't have a checklist, then my brain would just be constantly stressed trying to like hold all of the different things I need to do. Even like the small little things, they would just be all held in my brain as like I tried really hard not to forget them. Even at, at Juliet, we have a checklist, we have a closing checklist or an opening checklist. And it's just so nice like doom, 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 doom. And like once the checklist is done, it is like there is no question I have done it all. Yeah. There's no like, what do I have to do? What is there left? And now it's just like, <laughs> I made the roll ups. I tested the dishwasher. I recorded the front of house temperature. Like, like it is one of those things where once they're all written down, your brain can go focus on other stuff or just focus on like completing one at a time and do it really, really well. Yes. And you're right. Like when you finish the list, oh my God, there's such relief tension at your shoulders. You know, you haven't forgotten anything because it was all on the list and you can just be like, done. If you are an avid checklister, check. Yeah. Checklister like yeah, we are, yeah. um, you might be doing something that I run into a lot, which is making lists as a way to create the illusion of productivity. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes if I'm feeling stressed about all the stuff I have to do, I'll make a big old list. Maybe in that day I'll get through like one or two of them. And now I've got this partially finished list. And then the next day I'll be feeling stressed and be like, all right, all right, what, what do I have to do today? Make the big list. I end up with multiple lists that are just full of like repeating things or, or some things. And you just have this pile and it ends up stressing you out more than if you if you knew you just needed to do like these eight things. But instead you have 10 papers with them spread out throughout them. Right. I am one of those people who have like I have like sub lists in the sense of like, Here's the big cosmic list of things I need to do today. Here are things I need to do at these locations or at these things. If I have a list of like, go to Trader Joe's, go to Target, get oil changed. It's like, all right, at Target, here's what I need at Target. At Trader Joe's, here's the, at Trader Joe's. Right. Oil change, it's just oil. But like, maybe ask about brake pads. How like in video games, there's like the objective, then there's like the little mini. Yeah, the mini objective. Yeah, the sub objectives. Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Do you ever find like that you stress yourself out more by illustrating all the many objectives you have to do? No, because I think it's just a, a level of control. Hmm. Or you know, I'm not just like wandering, aimlessly just going places, which is nice sometimes. If it's a busy day or whatnot, or a day off, and I like I have stuff to do, it's like no, we're gonna we're gonna do it. How do you feel when you end a day and you have stuff left on your checklist? Unfinished. I'm just like, all right, I have to figure out time to do that. And that's stressful. That's what I've found too. So, okay. <laughs> Here yeah. are some tips and tricks for making lists, stuff that's worked for me in the past and that I've read from multiple career articles. If you're making a daily checklist, this is the stuff I want to get done today. You should really just make it the big ones that you have to do today or you're like, you're screwed. Like life will not function as it should. You'll get fired from your job. You won't be able to eat. These are the big things that if I don't do it today, I'm going to like seriously screw up my whole week. And then like maybe have a second list of like, this is other stuff I want to get done whenever I have time. So that way, when you finish that big, like, this is my daily list, you can set that aside and be like, ha, ah, I like did my stuff I needed to get done today. And if you have time, you can work on the other stuff. That way your checklist isn't backfiring on you. Mm -hmm. You aren't ending the day feeling like you didn't get everything done and it just stresses you out more. This is something Jenny's been bringing up a lot that she has been struggling with overbooking her days. Right. That just compounds stress. Yeah. Just be realistic with the time you've got. If you were to give that list to somebody and be like, hey, when you get home, you have to edit this and do this and send these emails. Yeah. Do you think they'd be able to get through it all? Then why are you giving yourself that list? Yeah. Maybe I love checklists for the same reason that you just alluded to, which was like the video game relation, the idea mm. of progression and achievement. Yeah. And it's like visual. So your point, like checking stuff off is nice. Yeah. And like boom, boom, boom is, is nice. And if anybody asks you like how you spent your day, you have like a list and you can be like, I did a lot today. Because I know there, there are some days where I'll sit down without a list and I know I got stuff done, but I don't, I have to like think back to my day and be like, oh yeah, I guess I, I did get that done. I mean, maybe I didn't waste today. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if checklists are for everybody. I can only assume that there are people out there that checklists don't work for, but I just, I have to operate by a checklist. Otherwise I'm 
terrified that I'm going to forget something. I think it's fair. But it's like a double-edged sword because there are times very often that I'll look at like all of these piles of checklists I have here on my desk and like just be paralyzed with a mixture of indecision and just overwhelmed stress, I guess. Yeah. I've got a sticky note. <laughs> I have a, this is a great example. I have a sticky note here on my desk. Uh, it says today on it and it, everything's checked off except one thing that today was like two weeks ago. And it says edit episode 32, <laughs> which if you're listening to this, you probably already know the previous episode to this went up late. <laughs> and this is a perfect example of like, I'll make these checklists and it gives this pressure on me like, there is some kind of external force that is holding me responsible and saying, hey, you need to get to this. People are counting on you. It's just this reminder of like stress and everything. If I crinkled up the sticky note right now and got to episode 32, you know, whenever I got to it. Yeah. This body is going to die someday. Like it's not going to be a huge issue. Right. Doing anything where there's no like repercussions is it's t hard to stay on task when there's nothing at stake. Well, actually, oppositely, like I, I find I start making myself believe that everything is at stake. Oh, so you like make up stakes. Yeah, I panic and like put myself through hell trying to meet our upload schedule and stuff. And I love this podcast and I love that people love this podcast, but you can't pour from an empty cup. You're right. Yeah, it all comes back. Yeah, it all comes back. Do you know who I'm sure has Oh, you, a... you don't have another one? No, I do. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to transition to Lakey Inspired. No, no. Oh, okay. That, that this is actually very much like a Lakey transition. This is the fake out. <laughs> you got me. Who I'm sure has a very, has, has a very good checklist. Who? Peter Parker. Because <laughs> he's got a lot of stuff to do. It just didn't hit me. It didn't hit. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta give it a, a C for the effort. <laughs> but I tried. I showed up. <laughs> this is all to say that just I'm, a, I'm, I'm happy. There's a new Spider-Man movie coming out. <laughs> this is the third in the new trilogy, right? Yeah. So this is the third in Tom Holland's trilogy of like high school years. And a lot of people think there's going to be like a whole bunch of different stuff in this one. I have the beautiful spot of being in the place of where a lot of our audience is where I haven't seen any of this. So what's the what's the down and dirty? Where we're at right now is that Peter is public enemy number one. What? Because everyone knows he's Spider-Man. So shouldn't they love him? Like Iron Man? But he's also was accused of murder. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really good. How did we get here? Like, this sounds like a trilogy <laughs> of Spider-Man movies I'd actually enjoy watching. You should watch. They're, they're pretty good. They're not bad. He's public enemy number one. Okay. And so he goes to Doctor Strange and says, I want everyone to forget I'm Spider-Man. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay, and then like... <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Strange, who canonically hates messing with time and, and thinks that the purity of our timeline cannot be sullied, like, okay. He was like, sure, and then does it, but apparently just from what we're saying, he like botched it. Oh. And opened the timeline to like different stuff. And so based on some casting things, what we've seen, people from past spider franchises <gasps> have come over what so like doc ock alfred molina is in it jamie fox's electro is in it willem dafoe <laughs> 
his Green Goblin's in it. Oh, <gasps> no way. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's this multiversal thing. And the whole thing that everyone is like flipping out about, but as not confirmed whatsoever. Okay. Purely speculation. <laughs> yes. Purely speculation. I think just fan whatever is that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield will appear in it. Oh. But everyone's just like flipping out like they're going to be. It's like it absolutely won't happen. But I bet the Internet is trying its damnedest to meme it into existence. Oh, for sure. And that's been the whole thing is that it's just like everyone's just trying to meme it into existence and just like talk about it. It's just like relax, calm down. But also, like, I'm just very excited. It's like this is going to be really fun and really good. I know we've talked a lot about how the new generation really loves irony and doing things ironically. Yes. Like it has come around that the prequels are like some of the most loved movies now. Yeah. Because it's like ironic to like the prequels because everyone hated them. Toby Maguire has come into that same vein where everyone's like, my boy Toby and his dance, yes. like in Spider-Man right. 3. <laughs> so that's the thing is like, everyone's not talking about that one, but it's like one and two are fantastic. Honestly, I loved Spider-Man and everything about Spider-Man until I watched those movies. Tobey Maguire ruined Spider-Man for me. No. I was like, I don't want Spider-Man to be a whiny like kid who's just like. Those were ah. extremely formative for me. Now, I think those were the first movies I like watched in theaters like opening day. It was the first time I remember doing it at least. Like I don't need my hero to be a man of steel, but like I don't want him to be like, but Mary Jane, no. <laughs> but that's the thing about Peter though, is that he's just a guy. <laughs> Yeah, but you can have like a teenager who's going through like bullying and like self-worth issues and not have them like, I don't know. It, it did it in a weird way where it's like, why am I not rooting for the hero right now? Interesting. Interesting. So the, he might show up, huh? <laughs> so, you, so you might like Tom then. You might like Tom's. I love the new one, the newest one. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, because I well, I've seen him in like the other Marvel movies, but I haven't right. seen his actual so, movies yet. So you should watch his actual ones. His actual ones are pretty good. All right. Um, they're, they feel like high school movies done like a high school based movie, like a mm -hmm. rock and roll high school or something like or something. Like a classic coming of age kind of thing? Yeah, yes. And just him being goofy and more fun before he's traumatized relentlessly for like <laughs> 70 years. Man, and I love how they, they did the, the thing which we always have to do, which is going dark. Like, oh, yeah, I, I love the idea that we get to root for a hero that the world doesn't want. That's yeah. really exciting. And there's something that like tickles my film bone at the idea that like, the actors who played these villains in different movies of the are city. doing the thing. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cool. And plus, like, I think such good actors too, like Willem Dafoe or Alfred Molina or Jenny Fox and doing their thing. No, I think it'll be fantastic. It's really cool because it's like the old guard. How's the new guy face with like the people we've known? And, and that was also the whole thing is like Marvel had kind of done that a little bit before, but then a fake out. Okay. So like, Spoilers for WandaVision. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Okay. I'll take my so, headphones off and the rest of you can do it as well. <laughs> so when Pietro from that series of films from the Fox thing appears in Wanda, it is this like, oh my God, what does this mean? Are they folding them in? Are they folding an X-Men? Are they doing it through this? But also like, then they just did the boner joke. 
but you're like, all right, whatever. Um, so that they got there, but then like backed away. You're good. <clears throat> and I'm back. Yeah. So you have to listen to editing that though. Oh damn it! What the fuck? How am I supposed to do this? <laughs> I can, I can, I can do a generic version. No, when I get there, I'll just have Jenny listen to it. She's not gonna watch it. <laughs> what are you talking about? Ronnie edits these episodes. How can we forget about him? I exist in the void. I have this sticky Ronnie note that just says the. It doesn't say edit it. It says remind Ronnie to edit it. Feed Ronnie. I'm so hungry. <laughs> he eats. He subsists on Bitcoin. <laughs> All I think of there, there's a scene in What We Do in the Shadows mm-hmm. where they try to feed Guillermo, who's their like human familiar, right? And they just throw like raw chicken at him, <laughs> and like yuhus. They can't figure out how to feed a human. Yeah, they they just so they've been alive for like thousands of years. They just they don't remember. They just. <laughs> They just like throw packets of raw chicken at him and like yoo-hoos. Well, you got half of it. And he has like a little mini fridge. <laughs> and he just like keeps all the you. It's like, it's so fucking good. You know who else likes yoo-hoos? I can only assume because what kind of artist would not? <laughs> Lakey inspired. Matt dabs. Thank you, Lakey, for this got a dab on him. Dab on the yoo-hoos. I- ironic. Ironic. Dabbing. Ironic, yes. We're not dabbing because we've now adopted into our personalities after mocking. I find I do that now. I'll dab and be like, like no, oh, why? God. No. Why? Yeah. <laughs> I committed. You're like leaning into it, like, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lakey inspired. Thanks for the use of our theme song in the process, man. You rock. You can find our podcast wherever you're listening to it now or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, really pretty much anywhere. And hey, if you find somewhere where we're not on there, let us know because we can hook that up. It's not that hard. We can try. It's actually, it's pretty easy. (laughs) We just take the main thread and we just like weave it into their website. (laughs) Sure. I'll let Ronnie handle it. Oh, wow. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for potting with me. (gasps) Shit. Every time. I think we should remarket potting to the acronym P-O-D. Some test samples, pucker on down. Picket oil <laughs> depots. Yes. Protect old dolphins. Power our droids. <laughs> <laughs> Power on down. <gasps> Power on down. Hey, the podcast is over. So how about you? P-O-D, buddy. <laughs> Power on down. That was a band too. Play us out. Bakers, it's time to present your tarts. Yeah, here's mine. That's quite lovely. That's very nice. It's not bad. Yeah, that was very nice. Thank you. Thank you. So we've decided that the star baker of this week is newcomer Alan. (laughs) Thank thank you. I I can't believe it. This is huge for me because, wait. It's we oh I, okay sorry I I this is a huge blunder and it's on TV too I I heard Star Baker and I thought I was like the next I thought I won 
Actually, you know what? Y'all get out. Alan won. <gasps> I won. Oh, God, this is so great. I cannot believe it. I uh, I want to thank my mom, my dad, my sisters. They would never believe that I'd make it on here, uh, let alone that I'd win. Like, what? Here, let me call them real quick. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs>